I really love it in Saratoga and I really love rowing here. I love rowing on Fish Creek. I love training here. It just makes me really happy and I am not going to be here for a while because it's going to be cold here and there's big fish to fry down in Florida at to try to qualify for the Olympics. Welcome to the other three years, a show for anyone who has an Olympic-sized dream they want to turn into a reality. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Other Three Years podcast. This week's going to be a little bit different because we thought that since it's a holiday week and also because we've got some new listeners, it would be a good opportunity to just break down the sport of rowing a little bit and explain some basics about the sport for maybe our non-rowing listeners so that some of the words I'm using will be a little bit less confusing. But also, I thought it would be a good opportunity to explain kind of the next few months of my life and what the qualification process is like in the U.S. for rowers trying to qualify for the Olympics. Yeah, that's basically what our episode today is going to be. So you just get to hear my voice instead of a guest this week, but I think that'll be okay. To begin with, I just wanted to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. Yesterday was Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving is in a couple of days, but you will be hearing this and yesterday will have been Thanksgiving. So I'm very grateful to everyone that listens to the podcast. It's so nice. Like I'm kind of amazed that people listen, but I really appreciate it. And it's been a really cool way to connect with so many different people and expand, I don't know, myself and get to yeah, connect with so many people that I wouldn't have connected with before. And I'm very grateful to have had this opportunity and continue to be having this opportunity to share my kind of weird life with all of you. So I do have some questions that I'm going to be going through and just explaining. I'm going to start a little bit with the sport of rowing. So if you are a rower, this might seem super basic, but maybe you'll learn something. I don't know. Rowing can be done with either two oars or one oar. When it's done with two oars, it's called sculling. That's mostly what I do. But if you have one oar in your hand and you go out to like one side or the other, that's called sweep rowing. So you can have one, two, four, or eight people, athletes in a boat. And in the one-person boat, it's sculling kind of obviously because if you only had one oar in a one-person boat, you would just go in circles the whole time. And then in the two-person boats, we have both two people sculling, which is four oars. That's called a double. That's the boat class that I've rowed in the past couple of years. They also have two people rowing with one oar. That's called a pair. And then we have the same thing for the four and the eight. Well, the eight only has sweep rowing. Well, actually an octuple does exist, but we don't really do that. So there are all of those boat classes which are contested at the Olympic Games. So like for the women, for example, there's a single, a pair, a double, a lightweight double, which means that both athletes have to be under, it's really like 125 pounds. It's really kilograms. So it's a little bit confusing. And then we have a four, which is sweep rowing, four people, a quad, which is sculling, four people, and an eight. And that's for both men and women. And those are all of the boats that are contested at the Olympics. At the World Championships, there are a few more lightweight boat classes, quad, the pair, and the single. 
but those are not contested at the Olympic Games. That's basically all of the opportunities that you have to race at like the Olympics or the World Championships right now. And we right now, the only event at the Olympics is flat water rowing, which is what I do, which is 2000 meters, a mile and a quarter. It is six lanes and like you race head to head. So we all line up at the start line, go. The first person that crosses the finish line is the winner. They are starting in 2028. They will have coastal rowing in the Olympics, like beach sprints, which is pretty different sport, but it is still rowing. But right now it's just normal rowing, flat water rowing. So we do most of our training on the water in our rowing boats, which people call shells, but you can also call boats, skulls. I call it boats. We usually have coaches and they drive in motorboats and coach us either with megaphones or radios, or sometimes they just yell. We have a lot of different coaches. We're primarily coached by rowing coaches who write our training program and coach us on the water, both like run our practices, telling us like what to do and when to do it. They also coach our rowing technique, getting us to row the way that they want us to row and maybe like the same as the other people in our boats. Then off the water, we'll have uh, lifting coaches that coach just how we lift and core and that kind of thing. We do have dietitians and all of that stuff. Like I had Liz Busco on the podcast, but we don't have sort of fitness coaches. Our rowing coaches prescribe our land workouts as well. And then we do a lot of our training also on a rowing machine, which we call an erg. We use primarily a rowing machine that's made by this company called Concept2 that's based in Vermont. And they've sort of monopolized the rowing machine market. And people are now pretty familiar with ergs because a lot of people use them in CrossFit and gyms and that kind of thing. So they're more widely known than they were 15 years ago. Now, like, there's a company called Hydro that does sort of what Peloton does but for rowing, and then Peloton also has a rowing section. So rowing is definitely gaining popularity, or land rowing is gaining popularity, but we mostly just use Concept 2s. We also use a rowing machine called an RP3, which is sort of the same. If you don't row, it wouldn't seem that different. The main difference is that an RP3 your feet move and your seat moves, whereas a concept to just your seat moves. Your feet are stationary and you're kind of moving back and forth. But on the RP3, your feet are moving and your seat is moving, which is more like what happens on the water because everything is moving on the water as well, which is why that is preferred by some people. It's also a little less like load, so it's a little bit easier on your body and your joints, but really... I personally think it's kind of all the same. There are a lot of differences between erging and rowing. I would say it's kind of like riding a bike outside versus riding a stationary bike. Like you're not going to, you don't have to balance when you're riding a stationary bike, but you do have to balance when you're riding a real bike. It's sort of the same thing. And when we row on the water, there's a ton of variables, the wind, the weather, the other people in the boat, when you're rowing on a machine, it's just a machine. 
you can do things that wouldn't really make the boat go faster, but they're going to make you go faster on the machine. So it's a good training tool and it's a good measure of fitness and those kind of things, but it's not like the end all be all. A lot of coaches like to say that ergs don't float, which is kind of a funny thing to say. And they basically mean that like, just because you're going fast on the erg doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good boat mover. I personally look at it like you will pull a certain speed on an erg and that creates a sort of V for how fast you could go on the water. So if you are a really, really highly skilled technical rower, you could kind of go really close to one end of the V. But if you're a really bad technical rower, you're on the other end of the V. So if you're a really good technical rower and you have a slow erg score, but there's a person that has a really good erg score and is a slow technical rower, like maybe you would change, you know, ranking on the water and on the erg, or maybe you wouldn't, you know, depending on how much more strength one person has than the other, or how much better technically the other person is. So there are a lot of factors that go into making the boat go fast. And I'd say erging and being fit and strong is definitely one of those things. It's just not the only thing. But it's definitely important at the level, at the elite level, to be good at everything. But on the erg, it is important. And we do still do a lot of erg testing and erg fitness and that kind of thing. So the biggest difference between sculling and sweeping is that in sculling, you have one oar and in sweeping, you have two oars. And sculling is much more in the middle of your body. Like you come up to the catch and you stretch both your hands out. Sweeping, you kind of go to one side or the other. So it's a bit more uneven. And maybe both sides of your body aren't the same strength level if you've swept for a really long time, always on the same side. Whereas in sculling, hypothetically, both sides of your body should be totally equal to make the boat go straight. That's really the biggest difference. And that in sculling, we can row singles, so we don't really need another person to train with. And in sweep rowing, you can't row by yourself, so you always need to have somebody else to row in the boat with you. The next question on here is about coxswains. So we have had a few coxswains on the podcast, so if you have coxswain questions, I would recommend listening to like Jimmy's episode because it was really good. And he did a very good job explaining what a coxswain is. But coxswains are the people that steer the boats. So in the eight, for example, they have a coxswain. A coxswain sits all the way in the back of the boat, which is also sort of the front of the boat, but it is the back because we go backwards. That's another big thing about rowing. We go backwards. So we're not facing the direction that we're going. Um, but the coxswain is facing the direction that we're going. So they have a rudder that's on wires, and they steer the boat using a wire rudder. And then they also have a microphone, and there are speakers throughout the boat, and they call the race or the practice. So in big boats, like, they have coxed fours, coxed eights, coxed quads, and they're just sort of a, like, hybrid coach-athlete person, jockey person in control and they do serve like a very important role. A good coxswain can make a boat like a lot better. I'd say a bad coxswain can make a boat a lot worse. And they're, they're very important. In small boats, we don't have coxswains. We steer the boats either with pressure steering, meaning you just pull a little harder on one side or the other, or sometimes they the small boats do have a rudder and one of the athletes has the wires connected to one of their shoes. And so you 
uh, your shoe is on a swivel and you'll point your toe in a different direction to steer the boat. And in boats that don't have coxswains, one of the athletes will make the race calls or the practice calls or that kind of thing. Obviously, they don't talk as much as the coxswain would talk. And during practice, you'd also have the coach to make the practice calls and that kind of thing. We all will row in multiple boat classes throughout the year. We train in lots of different boats. At the elite level, we train primarily in small boats. So it's a lot of singles and pairs, some doubles and straight fours. And then sometimes we get in the quads and eights, but it is a lot of small boats training throughout the year. I'd say most people row in lots of different boat classes and it's important to be able to go in lots of different boat classes. But people also have boat classes they like more than others or boat classes that they're slightly better at. So everyone has, you know, their own preference of what they think is fun to row. And if they like big boats better or small boats better, it's just a personal preference. But it's really fun. I'd say I've had like really fun experiences in all size boat classes. It's when you spend a lot of time in small boats, it can be really exciting to get into a big boat. But, you know, in college or something, when you're spending all your time in a big boat, it can be really exciting to get into a small boat. So it's just kind of fun to change it up sometimes. Switching gears a little bit, we are going to talk a little bit about what the qualification process is like in the U.S. and kind of what my like day-to-day training is like. There are two steps to qual. Well, there are many steps to qualifying for the Olympics, but there are two big steps to qualifying for the Olympics. And the first is that the country has to qualify the boat class. So each, it's not like you can just say, I want to go to the Olympics. And then if you're the fastest boat in your country, you can go. You have to internationally qualify the boat class for the Olympics by either performing at a certain level at the world championships the year before the Olympics. So the world championships that just happened or by going to the final Olympic qualification regatta, which will happen this spring in Lucerne. So Sophia and I finished high enough to qualify the women's double for the Olympics. So the U.S. will definitely race a women's double in Paris. But that doesn't mean at all that we are the athletes in that boat. It just means that as a country, the U.S. will have that boat class. I have an opportunity to race that boat class. So the boats that didn't qualify, didn't perform at a certain level at the world championships, will still have another chance to qualify through the final Olympic qualification regatta, which is also called the regatta of death by a lot of people because it's like either you make it or you don't get to go to the Olympics. And it's different in that case because the athletes that race in that regatta, if they qualify, those athletes 100% are in the boat for the Olympics. So, for example, our men's eight Uh, for the U.S. did not qualify for the Olympics based on how they performed at the World Championships. So the U.S. will still field an eight and they will go to the final Olympic qualification regatta. And if they finish high enough in the top two, then those nine athletes, eight rowers and a coxswain, will 100% be the athletes that go to the Olympics for the U.S. So it's a little bit different depending on the route that's taken to qualify, like how the athletes qualify and how the boat qualifies. So the boats that have already qualified, that performed at a high level at the World Championships this past year, those boats will either have to win a trial in the U.S., and that's for the singles and the pairs, or 
they will be camp votes and they will be named through a selection camp. So the single and the pair will win a trial and the trials winners will represent the U.S. at the Olympics. Every other boat class will, uh, athletes will be invited to a camp based on past performance, based on race results, based on ERG scores, coach recommendations, all of those things come into the camp. And throughout the camp, there will be a series of racing, training, matrices, lots of stuff. And then uh, the coaches and the high performance director and the selection committee and the high performance committee, everyone will decide what the best opportunities are for the U.S. And those athletes will be named to those boats for the Olympics. So it's a little bit confusing because there's a number of different ways that you can qualify. But I think that as athletes, you just have to realize that you know, cream rises to the top and you can only control like your every day and know that maybe everything doesn't seem totally fair or like clear cut or maybe some stuff is confusing. But at the end of the day, like everyone wants the fastest boats to be at the Olympics. And of course, everyone wants to be in those boats, but like you just have to trust the process and trust that if you put in the work and if you're showing the speed, then like you're going to be in the boat. And it's a lot easier said than done. It can be really stressful and sometimes, you know, crazy things happen, but it rarely comes down to like one day or one thing. It really is more a body of work and putting in a lot of days, a lot of really good results, a lot of, you know, all that, but also being primed and ready to go at the right times of the year and at the right times of the quad. Like through a four-year Olympic cycle, it's most important to be going the fastest right at the Olympics. So you have to make sure that you have done all the right work at the right times to be showing the right speed at the right times. So it's, um, it's a little bit stressful, but I think it's also you can't just constantly be worried about this far off date. You have to be able to control every day and what you can do every day to help you achieve little goals on the way to the big goal. In rowing, we train a lot more than we race. We really race very little, which is kind of a bummer, but it's also okay. We train like so much. We have two practices, if not three, every day. It's really a part to full-time job of training. And that's true. Like a lot of high schoolers train that much, which is crazy and a whole separate topic. But most college Division One athletes are training almost that much. And definitely every elite rower is training that much. We put in a lot, a lot, a lot of time into our training, whether it's rowing, erging, lifting, cross-training, which is running, cycling, swimming, any of those things. We're doing it multiple hours a day, six days, if not seven days a week, basically almost the whole year. And rowers are also, most people aren't taking time off during holiday breaks. I'll be in my parents' garage on my rowing machine, like on the holidays, just getting in your minutes because that's what you have to do. And I think that's kind of a universal rower thing. We're all a little bit crazy. So, and that's just what you have to do, like... You have to put in the time because if you don't, somebody else is going to be doing it. So there's a lot of training that goes into rowing. And it's crazy because our races are like so short, six to eight minutes, only a few races every year. It's definitely much more than a lot of other sports where they're mostly competing and not that much training. 
How does the busy training schedule affect your personal life since it's a lifestyle choice? I'd say that my training schedule kind of runs my life. And if I can fit in other things around it, then that's great. But especially right now, being so close to the Olympics, like it's a kind of easy decision that rowing and training come first, which I'm the first one to say that that's like a pretty selfish way to live. But I think that being sort of singularly focused on a goal is a unique thing that you don't get to do a ton of times in your life. And I am at a point in my life right now where I'm able to be putting that much into a goal, which is, I think, kind of a rare thing. So I don't have children, not married, anything like that. So I am able to be like putting everything into, you know, my Olympic dream. (laughs) But it's definitely like a pretty time and life consuming pursuit. That's not to say that we can't have fun. We can have fun and we can have friends and relationships and families and all of that stuff and do fun things. We 100% can. It's just a lot less than I think the average person. And I think our emotional capacity, or I'm saying our, I should only speak for myself. My emotional capacity for real life, quote unquote, gets smaller and smaller, like the closer we get towards race season. In the other three years, what steps do you have to take to even get there? (laughs) I'd say the other three years are, are a journey, but Like I was just saying, everything gets more singularly focused down as you get closer to the Olympics. So in the first year out of the Olympics, like the post-Olympic year, there's definitely a lot more time for different things and fun and travel and work and all this stuff. And then as you get closer and closer to the Olympics, it's more training, more focus, more sort of blinders on. Because you just have to do it. That being said, I think that you also have to have other things in your life so that your whole life isn't rowing. Like it's so easy if the only thing in your life is rowing to get hyper focused on things that really don't matter. And then if you have one bad practice, it like spirals out of control. Whereas I think when you have other things in your life, whether they're you know, relationships with friends or significant others or hobbies or work or family or any of those things, then it's easy to, you know, realize that like just because you lost a race, you know, your friends and family still love you. You probably still have your job. You know, you still can do things that make you happy. Like it's not the end of the world. And I think that if you don't have those things, if you've narrowed your focus down so far, then it can be really hard to dig yourself out of holes. And at the end of the day, I don't know. I feel like I said this on the podcast once, but like if you shut everything else out of your life and then you win an Olympic gold medal and you're standing up on a podium alone and you have no one to share that with, I'd question, is that really worth it? Which I think some people would maybe say yes, but I think that for me personally, I don't know if it would be. So it's it's all about balance. A day of my life of typical training when I'm in Saratoga or on a training trip, it's really the same. I wake up by six. I have a sunrise alarm clock, which 
my brother and his fiance gave me for my birthday last year. Thanks, Joe and Jenny. It's really nice. And then I have oatmeal toast every morning, which I cannot, you know, say more. It's really the perfect breakfast if you're going to be doing two hours of cardio because you don't get hungry. And the second half of your workout is 100% fueled. And it's sort of also fueling your afternoon workout all at the same time. So it's really the best. It's a lot of carbs, but that's what you need to fuel your workout. Then I ride my bike to the boathouse, which is great, sort of free fitness. And I usually ride with Cat unless he's too cold to ride. It's a little jab at Cat because he doesn't like to ride in the cold. And then we go to practice. Oh, well, then I do a little bit of warm up and I do a warm up that people make fun of me for but they're just being haters. And then we do practice and I like to have a really good practice every day <laughs> so that I can feel good about my training. And then I have some food and coffee, rest a little bit. I usually do a little bit of work or something like that. And then I do my second workout usually in the middle of the day, which is either a lift and some cardio or maybe another rowing session just depends on the day. And then I'll do some more work or maybe I'll do podcasting, something like that. Um, ride my bike home and then basically just have dinner and have a little bit of rest time and do it all again the next day. So there's really not that much time to like hang out between working and training full time. But I like feeling very accomplished at the end of the day, and I like being busy. Those things are all good. Of course, occasionally I do like sitting on my couch and watching Netflix like I'm normal. But uh, for the most part, I I do really enjoy like finishing a day and feeling like I got the most out of that day. Like I squeezed all the potential out of this day. And I think that's also true with my workouts. Like I just go into them feeling like, even if I don't think I can do the whole workout, like even if it seems hard and impossible, I just do the warm-up and then I just do the first piece. I just pretend the rest of it doesn't even exist. And I think because I've done that for so many years now, like there's no doubt in my mind that I'm going to be able to crush things. I just have this belief inside me that I'm going to finish and I'm somehow going to come out the other side like stronger than I started. And then I think you just stack those days and then hope that that's what's going to give you the tools you need on race day to perform at the level you want to perform at. I feel like the best part of a really great on-the-water practice, which like maybe it's just a steady state row or something a little bit harder, is like the time when you don't want it to end. I feel like in rowing, I personally spend a lot of time counting down the minutes. There's only this much time left or there's this much time left to practice. I'm just going to make it to this sort of part and then this part and then this part and then I'll make it through. But at some point during most practices, I reach a point where I'm no longer doing that and I'm just like in this sort of flow state and I don't want it to be over. Like it's just feels good and I'm just sort of cruising and like, I don't know, sort of like tapping into something and I don't want it to end. And it's really awesome when you have that feeling during something really hard, which doesn't happen very often, but occasionally it does. And I think you're just sort of searching for that feeling. I personally spend a lot of time with my brain on like overspeed. 
and I'm constantly thinking. And when I'm into a workout, whether it's a row or an erg or a bike or some run, and there are just segments where my mind is just totally at ease and I'm totally just focused on what I'm doing. And on the water, it can be really great because I'm just thinking about rowing, like thinking about technically sitting up at the release and pushing my hips and leaving my arms out straight and and just like tapping it along and not thinking about my life <laughs> and my problems or lack thereof problems or, you know, it doesn't matter if life is going good or bad. You just sort of forget about it and you can just be out there. I think that's what I've always liked about rowing. I think that's what was so great about college rowing. Like college was so stressful. <laughs> And then you got to go to crew. And I mean, sometimes that was stressful too. But for the most part, you got to go for these beautiful rows with your friends and work really hard and just kind of have fun and not think about school and life and internships and all of that stuff and just row and let your mind sort of be free. I mentioned trials briefly before, but the two ways that you can qualify for the Olympics are either through a trial or through a camp. And so trials is just, and I think this is pretty specific to rowing, an open trial. Like you do not need to qualify to go to a U.S. rowing trials event. Literally anyone can go. Like you could go. Anyone could go. And I think that's really cool. It doesn't matter what you've done before. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. I mean, it will matter once you're there how you perform, but to go, anyone can go. And so there really are just endless opportunities within the sport because say it's a random person from a random place and they just got really fast really quickly. Like they could go to a trial and win and represent the U.S. in that boat category. And that has happened before. So I think it really opens doors and and leaves a lot of opportunity in the sport up to the individuals, which is a really cool thing. And we are sort of as a country moving away from multiple trials events, but th those opportunities are still available. So it's pretty cool. So if you'd like to learn more about rowing, the Boys in the Boat movie is about to come out Christmas Day. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's very, very good. And it's based on the book, The Boys in the Boat, which is an awesome book. And I would really recommend and does a great job explaining the sport of rowing, both like logistically, but also sort of spiritually seems like a weird word, but that kind of is it. The mind and body and all of that kind of thing that go into this sport is really well explained in the book. And it's also just a great story. But if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you might remember that I did previously recommend some really great rowing books. So I would also recommend listening to that episode, which we can link in the show notes. But if you did listen to that, you will remember that I said my favorite rowing book was Assault on Lake Casitas. But I also did not recommend Arshay Cooper's Most Beautiful Thing in that episode, which is also a really great rowing book that I would recommend. A lot of good rowing books to recommend. So I hope that everyone learned a lot about the sport. And before I leave you to enjoy your rest of your Friday after Thanksgiving, I just wanted to give a quick update on what's been going on. So I just finished, or I'm currently finishing my last week in Saratoga for a while, which I have a lot of feelings about, and I'm trying not to have so many feelings about it. 
because I am excited to be going south and doing some winter training in Georgia and then Florida and all of that and excited to be going home for the holidays. But I really love it in Saratoga and I really love rowing here. I love rowing on Fish Creek. I love training here. It just makes me really happy and I am not going to be here for a while because it's going to be cold here. And there's big fish to fry down in Florida at, to try to qualify for the Olympics. But I'm really proud of kind of the work that I've put in this fall and sort of proud of myself for wanting to do that in Saratoga. I think I could have chosen not to be in Saratoga this fall, but I'm really happy that I decided to stay here and to to have this fall of training. And I feel like it's been really good for a number of different reasons, but just like training wise, I think that I've really took things into my own hands and of course listened to Kat, but was very clear in like what I wanted to get out of it. And then he was sort of like, okay, well, we're going to do a lot of work. And I just said, okay. And then we did it. And I'm feeling really good body-wise, mind-wise, like ready to attack more work, but feeling like I have a, a really good engine and a good build, base to build on as we keep going. I know I told everyone last week in the episode that I was doing an open rate 6K. I was wrong. It was a step rate 6K that we did on Saturday, so I still have not done an open rate erg test. But the step rate 6K went pretty well. I was happy with it. And um, a lot of other rowers were down in Princeton, New Jersey this past weekend racing at the speed order. And they really had to roll up the punches. I think there was a lot of wind, a lot of weather. They ended up racing at like 7 a.m. both Saturday and Sunday. But there was some good racing down there, some really close racing, which is awesome. And a lot of my teammates had really good races that they were really happy with, kind of caps to their falls. So I was happy to, you know, I'm a fan of rowing. So I'm, I'm a fan of people doing impressive things down there. I will say I was... Is maybe this is controversial. I was happy I wasn't there. <laughs> um, happy with my choice to not race, which feels a little bit weird to say. I've, I think it's probably the first race since I've been doing elite rowing that I like consciously did not go to. So that felt a little bit weird, but I do think it was the right choice for me, given what everything that's happened this year. So it felt good to like have made a choice and then feel like I made the right choice. And yeah, now I'm just going to go back to Boston for Thanksgiving, see my family and eat some really good food. And then right after Thanksgiving, going to start uh, the drive down over to Gainesville, Georgia, where I'm going to be training for a couple of weeks. So exciting things happening, but it's all it's all been good. And yeah. So I hope that everyone has a really great or had a really great Thanksgiving, has a great Thanksgiving weekend, watches some good football, enjoys some good leftovers. My favorite thing about Thanksgiving is the sandwich you get to eat the day after Thanksgiving. So I hope you guys are all eating your sandwich while listening to this. So before I leave everyone this week, I have a quote of the week, which is from The Boys in the Boat, the book, not the movie, although maybe it's a quote that's in the movie too. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet. From Daniel James Brown, who wrote The Boys in the Boat, he said, Harmony, balance, and rhythm. They're the three things that stay with you your whole life. Without them, civilization is out of whack. And that's why an oarsman, when he goes out in life, he can fight it. He can handle life. That's what he gets from rowing.
So thanks for listening. Hope you have a great week. See you next time. I'd love to hear from you. So send us a topic suggestion, or if you'd like to submit a question for our Ask Christy Anything segment, head to our website, theother3years.com.